Check, check. Find a seat, y'all. Find a seat. Find a seat. There's some up here. What's the deal with the front row? Really? Nobody? Nobody? Is that a thing? It's never been a thing. Okay. Uh, many of you know Miles. If you know Miles, let me hear you. We were, we were debating as to whether people knew who you were, but it turns out there's a lot. But for those of you who don't, here's who he is. Well, one, you should know he's my boss. So, yes. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Uh, so, um, anyway, he's amazing. And he actually leads just about anything and everything here at 12 Stone. So, he's, he's like bringing in the big guns, okay? And you're going to love him because he's direct, he's honest. You don't want me to say that? It's true. Okay. Um, and uh, he loves the Lord and he loves you. We are here today in this moment because he started a ministry here. Um, so we are here reaping the fruit of what he sowed. So, all right, Miles Welch. Thank you. How are you guys doing tonight? Okay. All right, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I was just in England for a couple weeks. It was awesome. You could have been there. Um, we, uh, let's see, we... We stayed at a place in northern England that was about half, uh, maybe even a quarter mile from this trail that was called Tolkien's, Tolkien's Trail. Morgan, what was it called? Tolkien's Trail? Tolkien. And, and it's where he would walk every day to go to a pub where he would write Lord of the Rings. And so we were right there. That matters to some of you. Um, uh, and most of you, I guess not. Is Lord of the Rings cool? How many think it's kind of lame? Kind of Dungeons and Dragons-y, right? A little bit like, what about Harry Potter? Is Harry Potter better? Okay. You right there, red shirt. You don't like Lord of the Rings, but you do like Harry Potter. Explain. Get really quick. Okay, yeah, he does have a lightning bolt in his head. Okay, um, cool, good. Okay. Sorry to put you on the spot. Um, welcome. So, uh, Hey, uh, so you guys, uh, were, you guys were in a series called You Asked For, right? And uh, we are, just so you know. And, and uh, this is a series where we're going to talk about things that you guys wanted to talk about. Today, uh, you guys wanted to talk about leadership. And so we're going to talk some uh, about leadership. I want to, uh, I don't really do a promo uh, much for things, but I do want to talk about next week. I'm going to scare our residents a lot. Uh, by what I'm about to say, but guys, next week's going to be awesome. Today's going to be awesome too, but next week's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about, because uh, this is one of the things you guys wanted to talk about, uh, but you had a caveat, so I'm going to go with it. You guys wanted to talk about sex and dating, but you didn't want to say, you didn't want to hear what you always hear, right? Which is don't have sex, and when you're dating, don't touch each other. That's basically what you, what you hear one way. Is that true? Okay, so I'm going to, okay, guys, we're going to talk about way cooler things than that, okay? We're, but here's what we're going to talk about next week. Masturbation. Okay? Just got quiet in the room. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. The Bible, the Bible, there's a verse in the Bible that's so relevant uh, about this. Uh, we're going to talk about wet dreams. Can we talk about wet dreams at church? Got super weird for the guys um, in here. We're going to talk about creeper guys, because there are creeper guys. Aren't there girls? Are there creeper guys? And, and here's the problem. You don't know who you are. And so we're gonna help you identify yourselves as creepers. Uh, and so then you can adjust your life. And if you're thinking, oh, I can't come next week because of that, you're a creeper. Um, but we're also gonna talk about psycho girls. Um, 
because guys, there are creeper guys and psycho, psycho girls, okay? And, and uh, you don't know if you're a psycho girl. Uh, you don't know it. You think that's just how you're supposed to be, and you're not. You're crazy. And so, uh, we're, and then we're going to talk about pornography also. I don't know how. I'm making a lot of promises, aren't I? Um, but we're going to deliver. We're going to talk about all of that. And, and so my, my kind of my, my uh, thinking was, because uh, you want to hear things you've never heard, we're going to talk about sex and dating, but it's the director's cut. It's going to be, you know what I'm saying? There's no movie. Don't think there's a movie attached to this. That's weird. Okay? Uh, but... When I say director's cut, I mean there's gonna be more than what you normally get. You guys with me? All right, is that exciting to you guys? You're like, nah, let's not be a part of that. Okay, here's the thing. If you don't come next week, we know you have an issue with one of those. You, you decide what you're gonna do. Uh, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, today, guys, today we're gonna to talk about leadership. And uh, I, I, I'm excited. I, I'll tell you, I was praying all day over what, uh, uh, what to share with you. I've been praying all week. Uh, I have a thought. It's kind of a, this is a teaching that I've never delivered uh, on a stage before. I've done a, like a leadership thing on, on this a little bit, but this is totally different. This is a, uh, you know, uh, uh, this is like a character study from somebody in history we're going to do. Okay. It's going to, how many of you like history? Yeah. Lord of the Rings, kind of, right? I'm sorry. Harry Potter, kind of. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about somebody from history that we're going to learn a lot from. It's actually a biblical concept that we would go back and look at people who've gone before us and, and to learn from them. Look at uh, what Hebrews 13, 7 uh, says to do. Uh, it's it's uh, a verse in the Bible. Uh, what it says is this. <laughs> what it says is this. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Did we get there? Yeah, there it is. Okay, so, I mean, there's a biblical precedent that you would think about the people who've gone before you because there's a lot to learn from them about following Christ. And we're gonna talk about a guy who, listen, all of us live in his legacy, and tonight's sermon is gonna be about living up to his legacy. So we're all a part of his legacy, and you'll understand uh, what that means. And I wanna talk about living up to it, um, and if you're looking for a category for, for the sermon, it's leadership, but I, but I know that not everyone cares about leadership and some do. So, I, so the category here is emotional strength, emotional strength. Life requires emotional strength, doesn't it? It just does. Life can be hard and it requires emotional strength. And listen, here's just a thought. Your relationship with God when, when you're diving deep with God, he should be making you emotionally strong. And you don't have to remain emotionally weak. And if your relationship with God isn't producing a strength in you, then you're doing it wrong. And so I want to talk about emotional strength from uh, this guy's life and it's leadership requires emotional strength life requires emotional strength and so even if you're not interested in spiritual leadership i think there's a lot to learn the guy's name that we're going to be talking about tonight is robert hunt all right robert hunt can you guys say that with me robert hunt robert hunt anyone ever heard of a guy named robert hunt anyone heard of this you've heard of him from the past Epic. All right. Don't ruin it. I don't know that you would, but don't. Um, 
So I'm going to tell you about his life, and then I'm going to I'm going to ask five questions, and all the questions are meant to stir a conversation with yourself about emotional strength. How emotionally strong are you? So I want to talk to you about him. We live in his legacy. Can we live up to his legacy? Is kind of the point. You guys ready to hear about this guy? All right. Not as much as I was hoping, but still, we'll get, we'll get there. Robert Hunt. Okay, this it's a real life. Okay, he's a real life guy. Um, he was born in 1568 in England, where I just was, by the way. He was married to Elizabeth, had two children, Thomas and Elizabeth. Okay, born in 1568. I won't write out the dates, but in 1594, at the age of 26, after school, uh, you know, he went to college. He became a pastor. He was a parish priest in Reculver, Kent. Okay, so, so at 26 years old, he becomes a pastor. He was forced to resign eight years later in 1602 because of his wife's adultery. You ever have someone else mess up your plans? So think about it. He's 34 years old, two kids, wife commits adultery, leaves him. And two years later, he becomes a parish priest in Heathfield Parish in Chester. Okay, so second, go at it. He was forced to resign in 1606 because of allegations of his own adultery. You ever ruin your own life? Right? <laughs> That's backstory, but I wanted you to hear it. I just, just think about that. Imagine what that journey was like. He's getting close to 40, and he's just shipwrecking his life. Other people shipwrecking his life. And eventually, in 1606, he joins an expedition to the New World. That's where we are. Uh, what would eventually become the Jamestown Colony. He was the chaplain of the Jamestown Colony, you might, you might know this because of John Smith and, of course, Pocahontas might ring a bell. Um, he was the chaplain. The trip was actually funded by the London, Virginia Company because they thought there would be abundant gold in the New World. They literally thought gold was just lying around. So what I love about this is it's nothing's changed. Where's Heather? Are you in here, Heather? Yeah. Like 400 years later, and still we do ministry in a context where all anyone wants is money. And, and that's what they were doing then. Nothing's changed. There's a hundred men and boys that jump on 3K. No women, by the way, which is a terrible plan, right? A um, hundred men and boys jump on three boats, the Susan Constance, the Discovery, and the Godspeed to go to the new land. It takes them three weeks to just get out of sight of England they, because uh, the, the way the weather was and the current was, it took them 21 days to just lose sight of England. They couldn't keep food down. It was rocking bad. It took 144 days to get to Virginia, to what is now uh, called Jamestown. And when they got to Jamestown, nothing was what they thought it would be like. They thought it would be gold everywhere and, and like easy sailing. Uh, here's the actual reality. The natives, the Native Americans that were there weren't friendly like they thought they would be, and they suffered constant attacks, okay? They thought that their guns would be an advantage against the bows and arrows of the Native Americans. Turns out the Native Americans can shoot six arrows for every one bullet they can load and fire out of their gun. 
they're in a world of trouble. The soil was not good for producing uh, food. It, they showed up in the worst drought in 100 years uh, into Jamestown. It didn't matter anyways, because listen, all the leaders, they didn't plant food or do anything like that. They literally landed and went searching for gold and didn't like think about food. The water killed many of them. Within a hundred, within a year, a hundred men was 40. Within a few years, they resorted to cannibalism because things had gotten uh, pretty rough. We know this, you know the story, right? Uh, uh, John Smith is probably the major player in the, in the story. We know him in the history books. The reason we know John Smith is he saved them because he formed a treaty with the Native Americans that allowed these 40 people to live or they were all going to die. So John Smith, and he became the leader of the first town in the New World, uh, Jamestown. Um, and uh, Robert Hunt, the chaplain of all this, is a footnote in, in history. He is, which by the way, if you want to be a major player in the kingdom of God, then you got to be comfortable being a footnote in the secular history books. Because everyone thinks all, all the other people are big, but in the kingdom of God, there's just a different economy. Most of what we know about Robert Hunt comes from journals from others like John Smith. But here's, here's what's cool about, about Robert Hunt. In, a, in April uh, 29th, 1607, he lifted his voice, thanked God, and preached, uh, and preached what is likely the very first sermon in, in the Americas. On June 21st, 1607, he celebrated what was probably the very first communion in what we know of as, you know, in the Americas. He built a church in January 1608 that was almost instantly burned to the ground by the Native Americans, lost his library and everything that he owned. So he built a new church. That church is the oldest congregation in the United States because it's the first church in the United States. They had daily communion, prayer. He preached twice on Sundays, every three months, uh, baptisms and, and uh, communion. He died uh, April 10th, 1608, less than one year after establishing the church. But I want you to catch this. Robert Hunt was the first Christian pastor in, in the United States and he built the first church in the U.S. And literally everything about our faith started with him. We're living in his legacy. The man that I just described to you. That our church, every church you've been a part of, literally we live in his legacy. This is how John Smith described uh, uh, Robert Hunt in his journal. This was after his death. Um, he said he was an honest, religious, and courageous divine. Divine is how they'd call a pastor, right? He preferred, listen to this, the service of God in so good a voyage, okay? He, John Smith said, this is a pretty good voyage, okay? They're cannibals. Um, uh, to every thought of ease at home. He endured every privation, which means de being deprived of normal things. He endured every privation Yet no one ever heard him repine, which means complain. D 
During his life, our factions, meaning the arguments that they would get into, were often healed, and our great extremities were comforted that they seemed easy in comparison with what we endured after his memorable death. We all received from him the Holy Communion as a pledge of reconciliation, for we all loved him for his exceeding goodness. First pastor built the first church. That's how they remembered him. Kind of cool, right? Um, so we're all living in his legacy, but the question is, can we live up to his legacy? Can we live up to what we just heard and live it out? Because what it requires is emotional strength. See what I'm saying? You guys with me? So I just have five questions that I want to ask you and we can ponder and kick around. And I think there's a lot to learn about emotional strength from Robert Hunt. Um, so here's the first question. And again, just to help stir in you, whether you want to be a leader or, or you don't really care about leadership, this I think is a helpful question. Can you rise out of ashes? Just write it down. If you, can you rise out of ashes? His church burnt to the ground, so then what did he do? He built another one. Out of the ashes, he built another one. But listen, that wasn't the first time he had risen out of ashes in his life, was it? No, his wife committed adultery. And he had to somehow, like ashes, everything he had hoped and dreamed came to nothing, right? And he had to learn how to rise up out of that. And then it happened again. Because of his own problems and he had to learn how to rise up out of that and then he came I mean what does it do to a soul to to have your hopes and dreams come to nothing over and over again literally his boss sent him to somewhere like you're not going to work in England just go there Robert Hunt knew what it was to sit on a pile of ashes that was all his hopes and dreams. And he also knew how to rise from the ashes and rebuild. Can you rise from ashes? You can learn that from him, right? Do you have the emotional strength to rise up from ashes? Because listen, here's just a reality. In the course of your life, whether you do leadership or not, there's going to be moments where you sit on a pile of ashes that is all your hopes and dreams. True? This is kind of a bummer uh, sermon right now, right? You're going you're gonna, to, listen, it's going to be true for all of us. You're going to have a relationship that you value come to an end. True? And you're just going to sit on a pile of ashes. You're going to have career aspirations fall apart. You're going to have, fam your families unravel. Don't have you noticed that families can unravel. Hopes fail. People disappoint us. Sometimes it's by our own hands. Sometimes other people. Sometimes it's just kind of what happened. And all of us will have moments where we sit on a pile of ashes that was everything we hoped and we dreamed. And the question is, can you rise out of ashes? Or do you let the wounds creep in and you stop chasing, stop dreaming, stop hoping, stop believing, start living numb? living weak. Can you rise out of ashes? You know, I don't know, many of you probably know my story. I, uh, I was a pastor. I became a Christian in, in uh, college and became a pastor a few years after that. And, and uh, I thought I was awesome. I was not awesome. And, and uh, guys, I've been fired from two out of four churches that I work for. Okay. Two out of four, that's 50%. And by the way, 
you can suck and stay on as a pastor. It's the weirdest thing, but look around the country. There's terrible pastors working everywhere. Like think about how bad you have to be to be fired as a pastor. Um, and uh, did I just make comments about pastors all across the country? It's, it's true, anyways, it's true, but we, we'll just, anyways, not a big deal. Um, I made so many mistakes. I was told two times that I lacked gifting and calling for ministry and for the sake of Jesus, do anything else. Like the, the church will be better if you do like something else. Twice. I've sat on a pile of ashes. That was everything. I, when I came to this church 18 years ago, I did not come to do ministry. I came to hide and figure it out. That's why I came here. Literally, I promise you not. My wife and I, we said, we're going to give it one more try. And if this one doesn't work, then I don't think we're going to do it anymore. Uh, being a pastor. Thing. And we came here to figure it out. And I learned about ashes and rising from ashes. I just want to say a few things and we'll get on to the next one. Uh, here, here's just a thought. Uh, a couple thoughts, maybe worth writing down up to you. Things I just would love to pass on to you about how do you rise from ashes? What, do you, what does that even look like? First, we need a picture of following Jesus. Like this is the first thing. We have to have a picture of following Jesus that includes ashes. If your picture of following Jesus is I do good and he protects me, then that's not the Bible picture, right? If you think the purpose of God is to give you your hopes and dreams, then you're not, it's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible seems very comfortable letting people sit in obscurity and isolation, letting them live in deserts, letting them have no dreams, and, and for years. True? See, if your perspective is that God is supposed to take care of me and my hopes and dreams, you're always going to be confounded by ashes. What happens when you come to the end of, of hope and you're just sitting on a pile of ashes? Here, again, God is always good, right? Jesus is always good. But he feels the freedom to bring us into seasons where we sit on a pile of ashes. And listen, when we're sitting on ashes, God is still good. He's still good. See, if you, if you, if you allow your circumstances to define your theology, you will always have emotional weakness. Because if things are good, then God's good. If things are bad, then I don't know. But you don't allow your... Uh, your circumstances to define your theology, you allow your theology to define your circumstances. So God is good, and when my circumstances aren't good, then maybe I can't see it, but that's when I hold on to God's goodness the most. Because that's when I need His goodness. Because nothing makes sense, but God is still good. I, I, uh, it was about 15 years ago um, I learned this lesson. My wife actually taught me this lesson. Um, we were, you know, uh, here for a couple years. It actually, it started on a Sunday. Um, we were driving to uh, 
uh, I was actually driving to the to a church event. We were in a fundraising campaign, and I was literally pledging away more money than I knew what to do with. Uh, and I just we just felt like God had this like radical number. As I'm driving, the car I'm driving breaks down, which is awesome, right? Because I'm about to pledge all my money, so all I need is the car to break down. So uh, I I I park the car in some uh, you know place and hitch a ride with a friend. By the way, the car was stolen. Uh, never seen that car again, um, which was awesome. That was Sunday. On Monday, our refrigerator broke and our air conditioning broke. Okay? Uh, and uh, that was on Tuesday. The other car we had broke down. We had two. And our microwave broke. I was like, what is going on, right? I'm like... I'm like holding our toaster like, you can't have it. Like, this is how we eat now. Like, you take this, we're all going to starve to death. And then on Wednesday, we found uh, ovarian cancer in my wife. And, and uh, the bottom dropped out of our lives. And we were in hell. And... Uh, man, I was a mess. I was so angry at God during that season. She did chemo and every. My wife's fine, by the way. She's she might even be in here some more. She, my wife's fine, but it was six months of not knowing. And every do, every hospital visit felt like a, you know, life or death, you know, thing happening. And and uh, I remember being so mad at God and like I cannot believe after all. Like, we're just trying so hard to live for you. And this is what you let us do? This is what you let happen to us? And I was just spiraling and tailspin. I was just a mess. My wife, peace. Like, irritating peace. Like, just get angry with me, you know. And, and I just remember my, my wife. We had two young daughters, all that. And my wife's like, God chose us for this. And... and like God is, God is uh, going to do something, and I, and I feel special, like God handpicked me just for this because God is going to show his goodness through this. That's my wife, guys. I'm, I'm like, holy buckets. That's so much more spiritual than me. Um, yeah, we can clap for that. Yeah, that's good. So here, here's, the, uh, here's, the, here's the thought. This is what I learned from my wife, that, listen, you don't define your, your theology by your circumstances. You define your circumstances but by your theology. God is good regardless. And when, what, like, like first thought, what do you do when you're sitting on a pile of ashes? The first thing is you cling to the goodness of God. You cling to the goodness of God. Your, your theology has to include ashes. If, if, listen, if God has to do exactly what you want for you to follow him, maybe you're not following God. Maybe you're following yourself. Right? All right, second, second thought. How do you rise out of ashes? Two thoughts, and, and I'll move on. I, th- I, feel, I feel the need to, to go faster. Um, uh, you mourn, and then you move on. Say that with me. You mourn, and then you move on. When you find yourself on a pile of ashes, you got to mourn it, authentically grieve that a dream has come to an end, and then you got to move on. <clears throat> and some of us are better than others. Some of us pretend at uh, one of those, uh, you know, some of you are really good at moving on and not mourning, and you pretend like nothing happened. Some of you are really good at mourning and never moving on. You got to mourn and you have to move on. 
So let me just go real fast. I won't talk about mourning. I talked about that a while ago, but there's a verse I, I, I believe could help us. It's, it's right here. It's uh, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You cannot skip the mourning process or you skip the comfort that God offers. You have to sit on a pile of ashes and invite God, have an honest conversation with God. God, why did you let this happen? Don't skip the morning or you'll, get, you'll skip the comfort. And, and listen, if you skip morning, here's how you know it. All through life, you're just collecting baggage, internal emotional baggage. Here's a way you really want to check and then we'll move on. How much anger do you have? How much guilt do you have? And how much fear do you have? If you live in anger, fear, and guilt, then probably you don't know how to mourn. You just move on. And you're just accumulating baggage through life. Second, what does it mean to move on? Here's what it means to move on. It means you pick up another dream and another hope, and you give it as much energy and belief as the last one, and you lay yourself wholly on the line all over again. That's what you do. I think Robert Hunt did that in the 144-day voyage. I think he mourned and moved on, and he rose out of the ashes on the other end of all this. So can you do that? That's one. I got four more. Second, can you endure hardship without complaint? Can you endure hardship without complaint? Let's look at the, uh, the, what uh, John Smith said about him again. He preferred the service of God in such a good voyage, right? Such a good voyage to every thought of ease at home, meaning he would rather be here than back at England. And it said he endured every privation, meaning he was starving like everyone else. But no one ever heard him repine, meaning he never, no one heard him complain. Everyone else was complaining. He wasn't. Can you endure hardship without complaint? I love that. That's a cool assessment of a, you want to be a spiritual leader? Learn how to endure hardship without complaint. That's a good start. Philippians says it this way. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Listen, if you want to be a spiritual leader, then what you want is to stand out for Christ in a world that, that is crooked. And if you want to stand out for Christ, you can't complain at everything the world complains at. you got to have something better happen inside of you than that you got to think about hardship differently. So I, I just, let's have a little bit of fun here. Can we have some fun? Let's talk. What's hard in life? What are some hardships that, that were school? All right, school. Okay. Did, was that bills or girls? Okay. I don't know. Bills. Both? She left. Uh, uh, girls. Okay. What else? Girls, there you go, boys. Oh, God, there's so much worth. Not, by the way, not even men, just boys. Yes, that's the problem. Yeah, what? They're all the same. They're not all the same. It's that, listen, listen, we're going to talk about this next week. Can we talk for a second? If you don't like the boys that are attracted to you, then maybe it's the hook you have in the water's wrong, right? Maybe, maybe, right? There's great, there's great boys. There's great fish out there. Anyways, we'll talk about this. We'll, we'll talk about this next week. Okay, it's not a big deal. What's your name, by the way? 
Sarah, welcome to uh, C12. Glad you're here. Okay. Whew, a little close. Um, all right. What else is hard? Temptation. Temptation. What else? Life. Just, wow. What's going on? You want some prayer? Um, family. Okay. Friendships. Money. Growing up career. There's so many things, right? Gosh, there's so many things. And we could go on and on. And, and listen, listen, here, here's, a, here's a way to understand hardship in our lives, okay? Look at what the writer of Hebrews said about this. Okay, bring it on. Uh, endure hardship, okay? This. Endure hardship as discipline. What? As what? God is treating you as his children. What children are not disciplined by their father? What is all this according to the Bible? Huh? Do you guys, did I lose you? That was pretty simple. What is all this? It's discipline. God is treating you like a father. He's treating you as his children. Right? And, and let's uh, think about that. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Amen? But, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So listen, hardship, if you want to understand, hardship is not something to complain about and it's not random. What's one of the things curious about this verse, does it qualify the hardship? Does it say, well, the hardship that you, that this type of hardship or that type of hardship, does it say that? Just says hardship. Hardship. All hardship God has allowed in your life to grow you up. All of it. It's not random. It's not on accident. It's not circumstances. There is a sovereign, heavenly, loving, good father who looked at the difficult thing and said, you know what? I'm going to let it in because I think that's going to grow her or him up. Hardship. It's not random. And so listen, when you complain about the difficult things, you're not complaining to a circumstance. You're complaining to a father. See, there should be something better happen inside of you than the world. You should shine like stars in the night. Because you got nothing to complain about. The things in your life are building you up. And you can count on God that they're going to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace on the back end. James said it this way. It's crazy. He said it this way. Consider it pure joy, uh, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's not random. Can you endure hardship? Do you have the emotional, spiritual strength to endure hardship without complaint? All right, let's go to number three. Can you serve God without being celebrated? He did his ministry in a small town with little affirmation. Think about this. Try being a pastor of a church where the people are literally eating each other. What's that sermon going to be about? Love your neighbor, but 
not in that way, right? And not in that way is not what it normally is. Not in that way is don't eat your neighbor. Um, Listen, this guy was not a celebrity. He was a sacrifice. He was an offering. He was never lifted up. He was poured out. If you want to be a leader, then do you have the emotional strength to serve without being sacrificed or without being celebrated? Just listen, just serve Jesus, right? Just, I mean, literally just serve him. Who God, will ta- God takes care of who gets the credit and it doesn't really matter. I want to tell you, we have two great examples of this principle in our ministry and it's Alex and Sierra. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, they're unbelievable. They just serve, they just are the residents of this ministry. They just serve God and serve God and serve God. And, and they serve you guys so well, and they, they never, I never see them worried about who's getting what credit. They just serve. I, and I, and that's, that takes strength to do that. Listen, you cannot fight for Jesus' name and your own. you got to pick. you got to pick which one matters to you. You can't fight to lift other people up while you're trying to lift yourself up. And, and here's just a thought. You're never more like Jesus than when you're pouring your life out for people who don't deserve you and don't thank you. So can you live up to the legacy of Robert Hunt? Can you serve God without being celebrated? Four. You guys still with me? Can you dig your own spiritual well? Can you dig your own spiritual well? See, Robert Hunt was the pastor of this group of men. Who was Robert Hunt's pastor? Who was his pastor? He took care of the spiritual welfare of these guys. Who took care of his spiritual welfare? He was his own pastor. And he took care of his own spiritual welfare. He dug his own spiritual well. Think about that. And I'm not talking about an unhealthy independence and I don't need everyone else, but I'm talking about a healthy ownership. He owned his own spiritual journey. One of the transitions from being a spiritual child to being a spiritual adult is that you don't rely on the church or others for your faith. You own your faith. You got to own your own faith. Can you dig your own spiritual well? If you want to be a leader in the church, by the way, then you're going to have to learn how to have something going on with God so big that, we, that you don't have to get what everyone else gets at church. And here's what I mean. Everyone else comes to church to get filled up. But if you're a spiritual leader, then you come to church to pour out. So where do you get filled up? Privately, at home. Whatever, whatever you have to have church in your, in your, with Jesus, just you and him. And the more people that drink from your spiritual well, the deeper your well has to be. So you got to have something with Jesus going on that's pretty good. So what does it mean to dig your own well? Well, uh, Jesus said it this way. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do what? Nothing. It means having a nearness to God that transforms your life. It means having, having a private relationship with God where Jesus guides you, where he convicts you, where he encourages you, and where he recenters his life on him, recenters your life on him. That's what a 
That's what it means to dig your own well. And, and the church becomes bonus, extra. You get insight. You, it's, it's very necessary, but you got to learn how to own your own faith. I, I remember I had a, uh, somebody uh, asked me the once, they said, how, how, you know, you're pastor of this big church. How, how, do you, how do you live? How do you sleep feeling responsible for so many souls? And I thought about it, and it's such a weird thought to me because I thought, dude, I'm not responsible for all these people's souls. Everyone's responsible for their own soul, right? Everyone's responsible for their own soul. We all own our own faith. It's not up to anyone else what you do. It's up to you what you do. Last one, number five. Can you keep dreaming in the desert? Can you keep dreaming in the desert? I love this. This is my favorite. When, 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 listen, when they first landed, it was supposed to be lush, vibrant, easy, and awesome. They hit a desert, the biggest drought in a 100 years. Listen, at the first church service that ever happened in the U.S., William, you got to picture it. These people are starving, tired, and discouraged, and not far from cannibalism because they're so hungry. And during the first church service, this was the prayer of dedication for the church. I have this, I keep this in my office. Look at this prayer. We, okay, so you got to picture them. They're starving. We do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations. That's you and me after us. And with these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains. And may this land along with England be evangelist to the world. That's what he prayed while they were starving. And here's what's crazy. We exist in answer to his prayer. Like we exist. Like like we just had people get up and talk about Cambodia, right? They were evangelists to the world. We're, We're literally living out God's yes to this man's prayer. Think about like, like if, like I just have to believe if we were sitting there starving, and this guy prayed this, we want to be evangelists to the world and reach all the generations. You'd be like, bro, just pray for a cow, like really bad cow right now. That's what we need. It's easy to let your bad circumstances lower your dreams, isn't it? It's just easy. Can you keep dreaming in a desert when nothing's going right? It's not working how you want, where it's, it would be easy to lose heart. And it's painful to think of hoping again. Can you just lift up hope? 400 years later, we're living out answer to this guy's prayer. Maybe we just don't dream big enough. Maybe we let our circumstances whittle down our dreams to something manageable. And God, if we would just dream the big dreams he's put in us and pray them that God would answer them. But it takes emotional strength to keep hoping when things ain't working right. True? So can you live up to the legacy of Robert Hunt? That's the lesson. Guys, I want to pray for you. Young Sarah, I'm sorry if I uh, offended you in some way. Um, That's a big step for me to apologize. Normally I completely miss things, but maybe I was over the line. Who knows? 
We'll talk later. Um, um, I'd love to pray for us as, as we close here, and we're going to sing a worship song together. So, God, I, I do. I pray over uh, these students. I, I pray, God, that you would give them emotional strength, that you would be with them, that you would encourage them in their relationship with Jesus in their inner core. And, and God, that, that I just think about this guy and the difference he made and the, and the difficulties he walked through. And I think, man, I want to live up to that. Don't you want to live up to that? So won't you give us the strength to do that, God? We bless you tonight. We worship you. We love you. I pray that our relationship with you, even in our worship tonight, would be so powerful that you would unlock for us new resources of emotional strength. And I thank you for what you're doing in this ministry and the way you're blessing it. In Jesus' name, amen.